As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Roger Willett is a 23-year veteran of the HVACR community. He's also a retired Army veteran. He's worked in distribution as a commercial sales rep, and then for the last 10 years, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVACUS. Roger managed a residential sales team and two of the largest distributors. He lives in Maine with his wife, Mandy, and three children. Good morning. Mark Madison here. Welcome to Mark Madison on Books and People. My podcast guest today is a very special guest, Roger Willett. And special for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's one of the smartest guys I know. And number two, his company, Mitsubishi, is the brand new sponsor. So, Roger, I thought it would make sense before we start for me to read the new script for the ad. That would be great, Mark. Is that okay? Can I do that? I think you can. All right. So here it is. Welcome to Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi is a leader in advanced HVAC technologies and is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all electric heat pumps has never been greater. There's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here's some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. Find out how to join the winning team at Mitsubishi. Go to MitsubishiComfort.com. And Roger, I will tell you that every word I just read is true, and here's why. I was thinking about this before, before we logged on. In 1988, I installed a Mitsubishi split system by myself at a bakery in Seattle. And when I got done, and the whole thing took like four or five hours, and it was seamless, and it was so easy, and I just remember, and the customer was so happy, and I remember thinking, this is the future. This whole ductless, you know, specific to one room, easy to install, lightweight, and I remember just shaking my head going, isn't that something? Well, now 35 years later, it's really something. We're, we're a 35-year overnight success, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Roger Willett, you're a regional sales manager for Mitsubishi. How, how did you get started in HVAC? Well, thank you for asking that, Mark. Um, my journey started uh, 23 years ago in the industry, uh, which is starting to date myself a little bit here, but uh, joined the industry kind of, kind of um, as a fluke. I came back from basic training. I joined the Army National Guard right out of high school to help pay for college. 
back in the late 90s and uh, came home and found a college that offered classes four nights a week um, from 5 to 9 p.m. And I thought, that's great. I'll be able to work a full-time job, support myself, have an apartment, you know, become an independent young man at, at an early age and, mm. uh, you know, kind of carve my own path and got a couple part-time jobs and, and found that uh, that wasn't paying the bills and it certainly wasn't paying uh, for the college debt. So uh, my grandmother cut out a clipping from the newspaper and mailed it to me and it was for a local HVAC wholesaler. And I called them and they were offering an opportunity to work in the warehouse and unload trucks and check in inventory and stock shelves. And, you know, they were a young company, but uh, I was there. I was their second employee. And so grandma I, had your back. My grandma had my back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning of my journey. And uh, it took about a year for me to realize I, I probably wasn't going to be an accountant. What I was going to school for, it, it just didn't... Uh, gather my interest like I had hoped it would, but I really enjoyed the HVAC work and the customers and, and really just the industry itself. And uh, so I transitioned to trade school and uh, ended up staying with that distributor for about 12 years. Um, I had a break of about 18 months in the middle when I was deployed in the mid 2000s to Iraq. Mm. Uh, but when I came back, the industry had started to change. Uh, I left in early 2006. I got back in kind of mid to late 2007. And that was when the industry transitioned over to a new refrigerant, R410A. Yes. And that's really when, um, if you remember right, the economy started to go in the tank around late 2007 into 2008. I remember and, it well. Yes. At that time in New England, you know, people prim primarily heat with oil, at least at that time, that was the predominant heat source. And people were paying more than $4 a gallon and, and they were looking for alternatives. And it turned out that these ductless heat pumps with 410A technology worked pretty well in New England winters. So that was really the aha moment for me. And from there, I really pursued that technology and the growth of that technology. And uh, it hasn't steered me wrong yet. So you've been doing it for 23 years, thanks to grandma. Yes, sir. That's so great. God bless grandmothers, right? Grandma turns 90 next month, so... Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> she's still with us, thank God. Have you written her a letter saying 10 great things I got from you? You know, Mark, I, I read that in, in uh, one of your most recent books, and uh, yes, I have written a letter to her. Oh, that made her life, I guarantee you. I hope so. I hope so. She probably said something no man ever says. Oh. <laughs> Oh, so I'm trying to remember where, where and when we met. Uh, we met at a dealer meeting that we hosted in New England, probably, I know it was pre-COVID, so 2018, I want to say. Was Maybe. it the Foxwoods Casino? It was. Yes, that's a nice place. We had about 250 of our uh, contracting partners from all over New England at that meeting. And uh, yeah, we had a great time that day. And I remember you expressing an interest in sponsoring the podcast even back then. And it's like, it just took us a little while to get there. So I'm glad we we're able to sort that out. Uh, I am as well, Mark. That's It'll... awesome. So, so what exactly does a regional sales manager at Mitsubishi do? So it's a, it's a really exciting role. Um, one of the pieces of it is managing the sales team that actually works in the field with our distributor branches and with our contractors that actually install the product. So 
they are really the face of the company. They're the folks that are out there every day training contractors and supporting them and you know, helping them grow their business. I'm that next level of support for them and help them get the resources they need to do their job. And then my other hat that I wear is, is managing the distributors themselves that stock our product. So everything from inventory management to marketing dollars to you know, all the things that go into selling the product into the market. So you're coaching the coaches, but you're also overseeing operations. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of fun, Mark. I have never been bored in 23 years. <laughs> probably my favorite thing about this industry. There, there's, never a, a two, there's never two days alike, and there's never a boring moment. It just keeps changing, too. It does. Technology. I mean, you're talking to a guy that, that got into HVAC in 1976, so, you know. Back then, it was disco. Now it's Costco. <laughs> That's right. Back the, then, I had long hair. Now I'm longing for hair. So <laughs> the, uh, the technology has just changed so much, and, and it really doesn't matter which piece of the heating and air conditioning industry that you touch. Technology has changed it all. And it takes a little bit of work to keep up with it all, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's, uh, if, if you're in this industry and you're not a, a constant learner, uh, you're, you're going to get passed by by someone else. That's really true. Uh, you know, I have an expression, the books I don't read won't help. And people who don't read are no better off than those that don't know how to read. That's exactly right. So that's a nice segue into the next question. What books had an impact on you coming up? Um, you know, coming up, Mark, I would say, uh, at least in the last couple of years, certainly Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Radical Candor, uh, of course, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is one of my favorites. Uh, how to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, another staple. Uh, yeah. Most recently, um, I'm, of course, I'm reading the book that you sent me, which I'm really enjoying. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. And I just finished a book called The 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. He is and, such a uh, smart guy. Such a smart guy that uh, it took two reads to really get as much out of it as there is in there. And I think I could read it three or four more times and get more. Well, you mentioned Carnegie's book. Uh, I found that in 1982 at a garage sale for 50 cents. That was a and bargain. It, it literally changed my life. I kept it in my service truck. I read a chapter every day. I must have read it 20 times. And to this day, I still read it almost every day. It's one of those books that had a, made a fundamental shift in the way I lived my life. Yeah, there's, there's so many great resources like that. Um, you know, I, this year I read the E-Myth HVAC contractor book, which really helped me better understand our customers' businesses and where some yes. of their points are and where we can help provide some value to them. Every contractor needs to read that book. Uh, I agree. I think that's a, a number one if you're a contractor. Well, because it'll tell you you have to work in the business and on the business at the same time. That's right. And that's that's a... That's a very specific objective that most people don't, especially the, the newer, younger contractors. When I say that, I mean maybe the one or two person shops. They don't understand that the next level is waiting for them if they read that book and, and practice the Inside City offers. I agree. I, I think that a lot of great technicians uh, go out on their own, and, and unfortunately, they don't get the training and support they need to run their business. And that's why a lot of them sadly fail. Uh, I think that's where we as a manufacturer have recognized an opportunity to provide value. And we've brought things like BDR training for uh, customers 
so that they can learn how to better you know price their jobs and be more profitable and and how to hire and how to scale their business how to plan for secession um, those are things that you know most young technicians they certainly aren't learning it in school and uh, if they haven't had the opportunity to manage a business um, before they go out on their own it's it, it can oftentimes be a struggle for them and i'm of the opinion that most high schools and a lot of colleges don't prepare young people for the skill set that they need. Most of the things that I write about and teach, I didn't learn in school. That's right. I learned from mentors and I learned from books, which is why this podcast is called On Books and People. It's a lot easier to learn that way than it is by failure. So um, I strongly encourage the same thing. And oftentimes, you know, our, our team here at Mitsubishi in the Northeast, we actually have a book club. We read a different book every month. And uh, if we have something that we really found, you know, a diamond in the rough, we'll, we'll share those books with our clients and say, you know, we really think this book could help you. We'll send them copies of it. Um, so I, I think not only being a learner, but also sharing what you, what you learn with people who need it um, can have a great impact on their life. I agree. I think one of the reasons my first book, Freedom for Fear, has done so well is that's exactly what people do. They read it, then they give it to their son or their best friend. And then they realize they don't have the book anymore and they have to buy another copy, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, and their bathroom books, except for the new one, obviously, uh, you can read them in four sittings. You don't mind your legs going numb. <laughs> so speaking of books and people, who were some of the people that had influence on you coming up? Who were mentors that made a difference in your life? You know, there's been many, Mark, and I'd hate to miss any. Um, I, again, I come back to how good this industry is, and, it, and it's good because it really is a it really is a small industry, and people look out for one another, and, and people share ideas, and they help each other. So I've I've been very fortunate from the time I worked with, uh, for a small distributor, as I mentioned earlier, starting out. The two owners worked right there every day with with the two first two employees. So we learned a lot about how to run a business and, and where their struggles were. Uh, but then I got the, the good fortune to share an office for the last five or six years that I worked there with a gentleman by the name of Russ Brown, who was um, an engineer by trade and just an extremely smart man and uh, was a great teacher. He would take the time to not only show me how to do something, but explain the, you know, the context behind it and, and uh, you know, it just made it very easy to understand very complex things sometimes. So I, I'm very thankful for his mentoring at a young age. And then uh, again, there's been many others from my, my 15 years in the military. We had some great leadership there. So you picked up some great leadership skills uh, from folks like um, Mr. Cheney, who was a warrant officer I worked with in Iraq, uh, just, a, just a phenomenal leader and, and a real uh, mentor for me. Um, but there's been there's been so many, Mark. It's um, I've been very blessed. In the last podcast I did, uh, I was interviewed who has a law degree. Her name's Lori Rawlings. And she said, because we were talking about mentors, and she said they were patient, they were smart, they were kind, and they were generous. Would you say that the mentors you had fit those four qualities and characteristics? I would. I, I think that's a great summary of, of a mentor. And they must have seen something in you, because I know the mentors that I have and I sought out, uh, the reason I think they spent a lot of time with me and taught me what they knew, and two in particular, Bob Moad taught me the speaking business and Charlie Jones taught me the book business, but they spent an extraordinary amount of time with me. And I think it was because they saw something in me 
Do you think that's was the case in with Russ Brown? I think it might have been, Mark. And I, I think, you know, having now been later in my career and have having mentored other people, I, I think as a mentor, looking at it from their perspective, you know, you don't smart people don't want their time wasted. So right. when you come to someone and you want to learn from them and you're willing to listen and you're willing to put the time in and follow the advice that they give you they're going to be more and more giving of their time and of their knowledge. So, yeah, I think if you have a hunger to learn, um, people who have the knowledge are, are willing to teach. And I've found that the, I agree with that hundred uh, percent. The best coaches and mentors I had did something that John Wooden used to call TAR, T-A-R, theory application review. They would explain what it is they were doing. Then they'd let you try it. Then they'd ask you, what did you learn? What did you gather up from that? Yeah, that's a great process. That's that's very similar to the military process. You train, you go out and you execute, and then you, we used to call it an AAR, an after action review, where you would go over all the things that went right and according to plan and all the things that didn't and how you can, can retrain or change your approach to make sure that next time everything goes as planned. And if it went poorly, it was an autopsy. And if it went well, it was a celebration. That's right. But you still ask the two questions. That's so great. What I was thinking about our oldest son, Colin, when he was in seventh grade, I was his AAU basketball coach. And after every game, we'd be riding home and I would ask him two questions. What did, what did you do well? And what one thing could you improve? And uh, we just got in the habit of doing that. And we did it for years until I think maybe he was a sophomore in high school and then somebody else was coaching him. So I didn't have that opportunity. But it wasn't until he was in college and I was talking to his coach and he said, Colin has the highest basketball IQ of any kid I've ever coached. He said, how do you suppose that happened? And I said, beats me. Why don't you ask him? So, so he said, he said, dad, you asked me those two questions. And I kept asking myself those two questions long after you stopped coaching me. Uh, you, you instilled it as part of his personality. That's wonderful. And he's at Amazon now and he just keeps getting promoted. And I think it's a, I think that to a large extent, I mean, I laid out the buffet, but he came back for thirds, right? So the credit goes to him and, and to anybody that's willing to take the time to do exactly what you described after action report, right? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's been said many times by many people, but, um, you know, smart people don't always have the answers, but they have a lot of questions you know? right. it's about asking the right questions. Yeah. I, I, you know, I do sales training and I, one of the things I say is, uh, guys, gals, grab your journal and write a line down the center. And after every single call, ask yourself two questions. What did you do? Well, what could you improve? And I never thought that coaching boys basketball at an AAU level, you know, I would, I would end up transferring specific things that I taught at a corporate level, but there's, there's so many crossovers there. I agree. I, I use sports analogies a lot at work. And, and again, I think that uh, it's, it's the coaching aspect and you don't have to play a sport to be coached and you don't have to play a sport to be a coach. Um, it's, it should be a lifelong journey, in my opinion. You should always be coaching your children. You should always be you know, coaching your employees, your direct reports, your mentors, but you should also, also be seeking coaching in your life. I agree. I read 50 pages a day uh, in whatever book I'm reading. And I, I don't tell you that to brag. It's just what Larry McCurdy did. The guy that wrote Lonesome Dove mm -hmm. and you know, he'd written a bunch of best-selling books and I thought, well, if that guy did it, then I'm going to do that. 
I, I actually picked up that, uh, Mark, when I started your new book at the beginning of the year, and that is now uh, part of my goals is reading 50 pages a day. Isn't that, I, it's so I, simple. I keep a running tally on my phone. I find I read 10 to 15 pages in the morning. I read it another 10 or 15 at lunchtime, and I read the rest in the evening. That's exactly what Teddy Roosevelt did. He would sure. read three times a day. He, by the way, he read a book a day. Wow. <laughs> I know. When, I'm not when, there yet. <laughs> when you say that, I, I read like two books a week, but uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's pretty special. But when I read that, I went, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worthy. <laughs> There's always, always somebody better to chase, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oh, my gosh. So you're a musician. How does that skill help you in your job? Because, and the reason I ask that is I have a lot of friends who are musicians. I'm not, I, I sing occasionally, but it's usually in the shower or in the car. But uh, all of my musician friends are smart in a different way. They have improv skills. They tend to be a lot more curious. They tend to be uh, voracious readers. What is it about musicians? How does being a musician help you in your job? It's a great question, Mark. First, I would start by saying I, I wouldn't classify, classify myself as a musician yet. I picked up the guitar. It was a life goal to, to know how to play the guitar. And five years ago, I just set a goal that I was going to practice at least 20 minutes a day. And uh, when I got good enough to not know what I was doing, but at least have some direction, then I started taking lessons. And uh, it's, it's really been a journey, and it's still a journey. It's a, it's a difficult thing to learn when you don't have a musical background. But I think to your point, some of those traits probably were in me that I didn't realize at the time, but now are a little more evident. Um, you do have to have a curiosity. You know, you learn something new, but it, it creates a new question. Right. If, if I can do this, what's after this? You know, what's the next step in the, in the iteration? And you start to learn about music theory and how, you know, melodies come together and, and all of these things start to bring new music into your life and, and again, new abilities. And it's, I really think it boils down to that curiosity, just just wanting to, to have new knowledge each day and wanting to expand upon what you did yesterday. Musicians get better grades in music and uh, in math and science as well, which is uh, Howard Gardner's book, The Seven Intelligences taught me that. I don't play, I don't play an instrument, but you know, but I write poetry and I write songs essentially, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yep, I wrote I wrote poetry at a young age and I always enjoyed it. It was a nice outlet. Well, I think it's fascinating too. One of the things you said was uh, twenty minutes a day, and and I don't care what discipline, what skills you're after. If you commit to a certain amount of time each day, the the, the secret is the persistence and the consistency. I, I agree with you there. I think you have to make things a habit. And I, that's one of the things I talk to my now older teenage children, almost adults, um, you know, be careful about the habits you create because bad ones are hard to break and good ones are hard to make. Right. So I think making things a habit, like reading a certain amount each day, uh, practicing a skill that you're trying to develop a certain amount each day, then when you miss a day, you that cognitive dissonance kicks in and you, you actually feel bad that you didn't accomplish what you hope to accomplish that day. So oftentimes if I do miss a day of practice because I'm traveling or, or out for work or, or whatever might come in the way, I'll double up the next day to make sure that I, I can 
ease that pain in my brain that says you failed yesterday. Right. It's interesting you say that. You know, I write three pages every day, and that's again another habit, another discipline. But if I only if I don't get around to it, I double down the next day. There's a there's a fabulous book called uh, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, and he yes. talks about. Have you read it? I have. It's a great book. Isn't it though? Oh my gosh! He talks about somebody that lives in your home state, Ray Latane. Yes, sir. And I think we've talked about him before. We, my wife and I saw him live and he's amazing. But one of the things he says in that book is he quotes a Rolling Stone reporter that says, when you listen to La Montaigne, he sounds like church, <laughs> right? He does. But I love the story about him being working for some shoe factory in, in Maine and then quitting his job. And for the next two years, he practiced singing along with records that he bought at a used record store like three, four hours a day. Yeah, it's, it's quite an incredible story how he developed his skill, um, but he, again, he set his mind to it, and it reminds me of another book I read last year called Mindset, which was yes. a, a pretty quick read, but... Carol really, Dweck? Carol Dweck. It's a great, you know, again, a, a bathroom read, like you called it, but a great read because it, it really does help you identify the areas in your life where you do have a very open mindset and then other areas where you, you may have more of a closed mindset. Right. And uh, by recognizing that, you can kind of force yourself out of your comfort zone when you need to have a more open mindset. Yeah, I've read her book uh, three, four times. I think my son turned me on to it. And that's a great thing about reading to my kids, right? I read to my kids until they were like 15 and they said, okay, enough, dad, you know, you know, and, uh, but I would read to them. And now, you know, they're voracious readers and they're reading to their kids. So we pass that on to them. That's, that's a wonderful skill to pass along. So we've talked about a lot of things. Let's talk about advice you would offer contractors. You get a chance to work with contractors on a regular basis. The most successful contractors do three things. What are those three things that they do? Well, I think number one, they, they have to develop their passion um, because with, with a passion for your business, you can set goals and you can set really lofty goals. Um, and, and then because it's your passion, you're gonna work very hard to achieve those goals. I honestly think you have to get up and you have to work twice as hard as your competitor every day if you want to win. Uh, and the most successful contractors, that's what they do. They're, they're the first ones in the office. They're the last ones out. Um, they are constantly training their staff, um, making sure that they're up on the latest technologies and the changes and how they can have a competitive advantage. And again, I really think that's about um, just, just developing the passion and, and then chasing that passion. Number two, uh, again, I think continually educating yourself in areas where you're weak or hiring people that have a skill that you don't have. I've, right. I've long said, if you surround yourself with smart people, people that are smarter than you, uh, all you have to do is pay attention and learn. They'll, they'll show you how to do things that you don't know how to do. So soar with your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Absolutely. You know, I think the old way when I was a kid, we, we were always working on our weaknesses and, and we've really learned a lot, I think, in the in the realm of neurology, where now we're like, be aware of your weaknesses so that you can get help with them, but really leverage your strengths, right? You know, because that's where your passion is going to be. That's where your heart is going to be. And that's where you're going to put in the most effort is, is on the passion side. I agree with that 100%. It, it's, it's knowing, it's know thyself right? The, the Oracle of Delphi. It's being right. honest enough with yourself to say, here are the things I'm really good at, and I love to do. 
And here are the things that even though it's part of my responsibility, I'm not good at it and I can't stand doing it. So now I have to go find somebody who likes to do those things and is good at it so I can give that to them. That's right. It's a good summary. Well, it <laughs> the, the saddest thing I hear small contractors say is I haven't had a vacation in five years. And the other sad thing I hear is if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. And to me, the, that's death. It is death, again, because you often end up working on things that, that you don't like and you're not going to put in 100% effort in those areas. It's just, it's human nature. You know, you'll avoid the things that you, that you dislike, even if you have to do them. Um, you won't do them to the, you know, to the best ability. So again, I'm, I'm a firm believer of when you're, if you're a business owner, you know, hire higher attitude attitudes number one honestly yep. if you hire people with a good attitude and then hire people with skills that you need constantly I, I give it the bill belichick and i know not everybody's a patriots fan but i happen to be living in New oh England. i read his book and education of a coach it was amazing he he is a great coach and one of the one of the competitive advantages that the patriots have had under his leadership for the last 20 plus years is he goes out and he hires the people he needs to do a certain skill yes. and you know, he hired a guy like Julian Edelman. He said, he's a football player. I'll find a job for him. He, he knew he had skills that he could use. Right. Even though he was technically a trained quarterback, he became a, an incredible slot receiver. He, he, he saw that in him. And I think that's what business owners need to sharpen uh, as a skill set is just looking for those, those people that can contribute to the team and bring something to it that, that you don't already have. He also had, well, there are two other things I got from his book. One was he said, figure out what your, your opponent's strengths are and take them away. Yes. And I thought that was so simple. It was absurd. But the other thing that I noticed that he did was he found the guys who other people thought were done or, you know, had some flaw, some injury, some aspect of their game. But he found those, those, those key components to plug into his system. And he gets his guys to buy into his system. That's right. He's built a culture. He really has. And, and I think earlier you asked me a three-part question and I gave you two parts, but uh, that is the third in my mind is, is building the culture that you want. So if you're, if you're a manager of a bigger company or if you're a, an owner of, a, of a, you know, an entrepreneurship, a, your own private business, that's really one of the most critical components is your culture yes, that's yes. what that's what the difference is between retaining good employees and losing them to the competition if if you have a poor culture people are not going to stay uh, if you tolerate bad behavior and, and bad employees not showing up on time the good ones are going to leave first so you really have to build that winning culture that culture where everybody buys in and everybody knows that they are an important piece in the cog and the cog can't turn if all of the pieces aren't there um, they'll, they'll go through walls for you if they feel like they're, they're part of the team. I agree with that hundred percent. I ask contractors three questions because I said, look, every single employee you have is asking three questions about your company. Number one, is this place safe? Number two, do I belong? Is there a sense of family here? And number three, do I have a future? And if there's any hesitation to answering any of those three questions, that person may not stay. I think that that is pretty accurate, Mark, from what I have seen in my career. It's so simple. It just isn't easy. 
Well, you, you can look at many surveys, exit surveys uh, that companies do based on why employees leave their company. And, and it's hardly ever about pay or benefits or any of those things that we kind of think of first. Um, it's usually bad management or a poor culture. Right. A lack of appreciation, respect or understanding. That's right. You mentioned Covey's book, you know, seek first, understand rather than be understood. That's huge. And that means you got to take the time to ask questions and listen, really listen. That's right. Yeah. In, in, in the 12 rules for life, one of the one of the chapters there was listen like the person you're listening to has has something to teach you. Um, and, and it's really true. I mean, you have to listen with the intent to learn. The metaphor I use to hammer home that point when I do seminars is imagine your rich uncle died. He was your favorite uncle and he was really rich. And it turns out you're in his will. So when you show up to the reading, you're going to listen really, really well like you've never listened before. Why? Because there's something in it for you. Well, guess what? Every conversation needs to be with your rich uncle. <laughs> that is a great analogy. I like that one. Because you're getting something from him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like that scene in Grand Torino when the family realized they're not getting the car. <laughs> he, he's giving it to the young Asian kid. That's right. Yeah, I just love that movie. Yeah, the kid who didn't expect anything. Exactly. So last question, what would you add in, in, as a parting shot? What would I add as a parting shot? Yeah, in closing, what would you add? P.S., if this was a letter, what would the postscript say? Um, that's a good question, Mark. Um, I was hoping you'd say buy Mitsubishi, but, you know... <laughs> I, I guess I could certainly give a shameless plug for our product, but I think what I what I would say is just be a lifelong learner. I, I really think that that is the key to success in life. Yeah, Never stop learning. Yeah, we we get old when we stop learning. I had a manager that used to say all the time, "If you're green, you're growing, and if you're ripe, you're rotting." He got that from Ray Kroc, the book "Grinding It Out." That's right. I love that book. You're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. That's right. That's very true. And if you're not consciously getting better reading your 50 pages a day, then you're unconsciously getting, getting worse and going backwards. It's almost like the metaphor I use is we got on one of those moving sidewalks at the airport going backwards. So we have to work, walk twice as fast as everybody else to get where we want to go. <laughs> if we stop walking, we go backwards. That's right. Well, I so appreciate, number one, Mitsubishi willing to sponsor the podcast, and number two, you carving out some time in your busy day to share your insights. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, Mark, and, and again, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing you again. I'm sure that'll be sooner than later, and, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to partner with you. We appreciate the message that you're putting out every day, and uh, keep writing those books. <laughs> well, and uh, you keep reading them. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. Thank you. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. 
Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.